told you Wonder Woman's badassery was possible. That her strength and resilience we also admire is actually attainable for the likes of you and me. But unlike Wonder Woman, we don't need six goddesses from the Greek pantheon to create us. <laughs> Would you believe me? Well, don't take my word for it. Today's Women of Impact has dedicated her life to teaching and demonstrating that resilience is not something we're born with or without, but rather a skill we can cultivate. You see, with a master's and doctorate degree in clinical psychology, today's guests realize that society's obsession with happiness is actually leading us astray. It's focusing our attention on our shortcomings. But, but, if we can shift our perspective, if we can recognize that happiness requires us to see challenges as opportunities, that requires us to discover emotional strength during times of struggle, that requires us, like Wonder Woman, to become resilient, then we can truly be happy. So, with a sharp focus on the how as well as the why, she went on to write the smash hit 21 Days to Resilience, how to transcend the daily grind, deal with tough stuff, and discover your strongest self. Reaching number one on Amazon with publications in five languages, it's safe to say she really is spreading her message far and wide. From appearances on The Doctor, Good Morning America, and Dr. Oz Show, as well as contributing editor for Cosmo and People, she puts a strong emphasis on mindfulness-based cognitive therapy and focuses on actual tactics we need to develop in order to become resilient. With leadership seminars, hosting mental fitness boot camps, and with corporate clients lists that include Victoria's Secret, Adidas, and Coca-Cola, this woman is giving out so many tools for your tool belt that's even making Tim Allen jealous. So guys, please help me in welcoming the woman who, along with the Jump Foundation, is bringing resilience programs to youth worldwide. The woman crowned as one of Maria Shriver's architects of change, the queen of resilience herself, Dr. Zilana Motmini. Oh, I love Welcome it. Welcome to Hi, the show. So How are you? Good. So there's only one place to start with you, and that's <laughs> happiness. Yeah. So yeah. break it down for me, girl. When I heard you say that happy, like our focus on right. ha happiness is actually the most detrimental to us, right. you got my attention. Good. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad because it's something I'm really speaking out against. I started out as a happiness researcher and along the way realized that we were sort of misleading people by saying it was the feelings of happiness that are contributing to all of these positive outcomes. It's the thinking patterns that sometimes give us happy feelings that are really connected to all of these other variables that we're studying. Um, so it's misguided. If we anchor our goals in a fleeting feeling, we set ourselves up for failure. Um, and I see so many people, all, you know, so many clients and so many, you know, people in my talks who just want to be happy all the time. And they're so miserable. And, um, you know, I started to think about then, well, if it's not happiness, you know, what is that sort of magic, magic tool, magic piece? And I, I started to look at, you know, the most successful, content people I know. And it's not happiness at all that makes them who they are. It's that they are they are content and 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 you know in a place of success, not in spite of their hardships, but because of them. And really, it's it's the resilience piece that we need to learn, rather than trying so hard to be happy all the time. Yeah. Why do you think we focus on the happy? Because it feels good, right? In Happiness that feels good in the moment. So yeah. what? So and a good way to describe it, sort of, and if you could bear with me to be a little like yeah. neurosciencey for Let's a minute, do I, I love, love the brain. <laughs> um, but basically, when we feel these sort of joyful feelings, 
we release something called dopamine. And you might have heard of it before, but it triggers about five receptors in our brain that is really short-lived, but it also triggers our reward motivation system in our brain, which always wants us wanting more, right? So we feel the feeling. We're like, oh, that feels really good. I want more of it and more of it. And so we're never fully satisfied by it from a sort of a brain perspective. But contrary to that, when we feel those deep-seated sort of contentment, that fulfillment, we release something called serotonin, which has 15 receptors in the brain, and it's a much more lasting feeling, it's much more satisfying, and it doesn't trigger this reward system in our brain that always wants us having more. You know, I mean, happiness comes and goes throughout the day. It's, it's a cycle. And so, um, you know, when, when you really just want desperately to be happy and you have all these to-do list items, like I've got to meditate to be happy. I've got a journal to be happy and you never can get to them, right? Cause the day gets so busy and, and you have other responsibilities to fulfill. You end up ending your day thinking that you're a total failure because you didn't do all these things with your to-do list to do, be happy. And now you're even more miserable. I so love you that you brought mean? up that because it is so true. Um, and I've heard you actually talk about gratitude. Yeah. And so I, a lot of people talk about gratitude now. So I sat down. I'm trying to do it every morning. And it just feel, it feels forced. Right. And it feels like another job. Like I've already got so many yeah. things in my life that I have to stress about and think about doing. That if you're striving for happiness now, it's almost like one extra thing that you've got on your to-do list. Exactly. Exactly. I do think it's important to be grateful, to have a grateful perspective. I think the way that we're going about it in our culture is wrong. Like you said, I I think that if it doesn't work for you to wake up every day and think about 17 things that you're grateful for or, you know, every night for 20 minutes, like journal because you have nothing else, you know, you have that, that time for yourself. Great. If that works for you. Often it doesn't. So I talk about tips and tools in the book, the things that you, that are actionable that you can integrate in your life. But if it doesn't feel good, if it feels forced, don't do it right? Again, it's about, you know, really trying to integrate these concepts in a way that um, resonates with you, you know, and I, it came to me when I was trying to meditate myself. Meditation can be great for people, right? There's a lot, there's so much research to show its benefits. I get that. It doesn't work for me in the way that I wanted to. And I felt myself being so frustrated, you know, I'm like, why can't I just meditate, right? And all these <laughs> thoughts go through my head and I'm thinking like, wait, I can't, I can't meditate. But that's the whole thing about mindfulness is it's not, it shouldn't be forced. It should be a part of your day to day. And I was going about it in totally the wrong way by putting this pressure on myself. I'm actually a very mindful person. And I, I've, I realized that I, I'm pretty meditative throughout my day. There's moments where I get into a place where I'm, I'm in a meditative stance, like whether, you know, I'm like, just even looking at my closet or washing dishes or in the shower. Like there's ways that you can be meditative without actually meditating, right? God, I, I, it's so powerful because I beat myself up over the fact that I couldn't meditate. And I was like, well, this isn't helpful. Isn't the whole point of meditating to relax you and actually it became a source of stress for me. Yes. But, but if you're a person that always strives for perfection, then it, all, it right it kind of becomes a spiral. So how do you stop people from trying to get perfect at these types of things? Well, I mean, the first thing you have to understand and realize is you can never be. All of these things, all of these skills that you learn 
um, have to be in flux. They mm-hmm. change all the time, just like you and I change all the time. So the sooner we realize that nothing is really fixed, you can let go of that need to always be perfect. Perfect doesn't exist. Perfectionism comes from this need to control, this need to want to be really good at things, to excel. There's a way to channel it, just like when we feel stressed. Mm. There are positive ways to be stressed. There's a way to channel perfect um, that can keep you motivated. But to understand that there's a limit and that good is good enough and that really perfect doesn't exist. It's, it's just in our imagination and it's, it's pressure that we put onto ourselves to keep going. So to reframe that for yourself is really important. And to know that meditating and all of these other tools in your toolkit can be wonderful but they have to work for your lifestyle. Um, you know, some of my clients, and I talk about it in the book, you know, on their drive home, they use that time instead of being on the phone or instead of listening to music to just sit in quiet. Their brain might be going a mile a minute. They're trying, they're practicing how to reframe and how to just look at the trees floating by and not be frustrated by the cars packed in front of them, right? But that's meditating for them. That's yeah. their window, right? So really, it's anything in your life can become something that you're really good at, but it's never going to be perfect. I love it. Okay, so take me through. (laughs) There's someone right now listening and they suffer from it. They're a perfectionist, so it either stops them from trying something because they're too afraid to fail um, or they're in the middle of something and they just don't know how to stop, right? Good enough. What's that first tip you would give them to say it is good enough? you know, everyone is at such a different place with it. And a lot of perfectionists struggle with insecurities um, and, you know, not feeling like they're ever really good enough either. Mm -hmm. So um, I can't give you just that one thing. But what I can say is that I found that sort of an, an internal dialogue is can work really well. And most of our time is spent being really negative about ourselves internally. Okay, we process so much um, self-talk and we don't even notice it. It's totally subconscious, right? But it's like constant and most of it is negative, sadly. Mm -hmm. So if you can, for one moment, just step back and tell yourself, I am enough. This is enough. And just honestly repeat that as awkward as it's going to feel at first, your brain will slowly shift into believing it. Um, And I remember even with this book, I kept telling my editor, my publisher, like, okay, give me one more week. I need one more day. I, I, and because you were because I just, I kept feeling like, okay, this, I need to tweak this and da, 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 da. And I, it kept shifting for me. And I kept having like these sleepless nights. Oh, I forgot to include this, or I want to include this, or I want to say it a different way. And I remember my editor saying to me, just rip off the bandaid. Like it is an awesome book. Like you've done it. You're done. Right. So another tip is, you know, really reach out to someone you trust who can be an honest, you know, someone honest who can open up some of your blind spots too, if you have them, we all do, um, to say to you, like, you're, this is, you're, it's enough, it's good, you're good, you're done, right? In that moment too, mm-hmm. that can be really helpful because most perfectionists don't like to seek help from anyone. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> right? Very true. It's very hard. Um, and in our society, it doesn't really encourage that either. We're sort of right. encouraged to be independent and not like rely on anyone, um, which I think is, is sad. It's not the way humans are meant to be. Yeah. It's not how we optimize um, our mental well-being or any well-being for that matter. Um, but yeah, those are just some tips and tools. 
Yeah. That's awesome. I remember being in a situation where I was getting, I just couldn't let go in. Yeah. Adding a bit more, do a bit more. And my husband turned around to me and he's like, you're never done. Yeah. And actually that was, I was like, wow, you're right. I'm never going to be done. It's exhausting. It is. But almost recognizing yes. that you could keep going because yeah, like you said, course. perfection doesn't actually exist. No, it's a journey. Yeah. It's a process. Mm -hmm. And really, you know, when we say we want it to be perfect, what we're saying is we want to keep working on this. Yeah. We, we like this or something about mm -hmm. it is calling us. So what about what you're doing is resonating with you. And so letting that have an end and then moving on to something that's maybe related or something similar but different, right? That you can still keep holding on to that, you know, those interesting, whatever it's coming up in you, but shifting, you know, to a different gear. That's so powerful, identifying what it is about it that is giving you some form of satisfaction that's making you not, or not allowing you to let go. Right. That's strong. Right, because what's interesting, what, what's important to understand is that perfectionists, you know, who keep working on things and can't, can't let go, it, it seems like a negative experience. It seems to be, <laughs> right, exhausting, yeah. frustrating, you know, oh, I just want to get it right. But really, if you go under the layers, if you peel the onion and get to the core, you're holding on to it for a reason. Oh my God, I love that so much. Okay, so um, let's talk about um, challenges mm. and how it, if you can see it as a positive, can actually change everything. Yeah. Um, because so many people, they find a problem and they just stop. Yeah. It's like, well, I can't do that because mm. of this. Mm. And that's where they end up, um, I think, derailing on their goal. But you can, you say it's like a great thing that can happen. Oh, yeah. Challenges, I mean mistakes are exciting and challenges are part of the growing process, the growing pains of, of life. Um, so the sooner we can recognize the opportunity within our challenges and failures, the, the sooner we, we bloom, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I really encourage people to invite invite challenge into your life in some way. Of course, I'm not talking about, you know, life-threatening challenges. I'm talking about knowing who you are mm -hmm. and knowing how to implement certain things bit by bit that that make you work and strive towards something, that, that, that make you uncomfortable so that you can grow and strengthen from it. I always say, like, you know, if you think about physical therapy, for example, if you break a limb or someone has a hip replacement, mm -hmm. they never say to you, like, go lie in bed for five months and you'll be fine. Like, you'll just get up from that bed and walk. You'll be great. Yeah. Nobody ever says that, <laughs> right. right? What do they say? You need to start moving when it hurts the most. Like, the minute it happens, get on that floor and start doing push. Like, you know, whatever. It, you have to activate the very thing that is broken or that hurts. There's a reason for that. So you get stronger. And the same, our brain works the same way. So if you can challenge yourself appropriately, invite things into your life that make you uncomfortable, you give yourself the opportunity to grow and to strengthen. And, you know, with challenges, a lot of it is really perception because what you believe becomes your truth. Yeah. It becomes everything. So if you can approach a challenge as something that, yeah, it's difficult, sure. It's going to be hard. It, it might even hurt. It might be painful emotionally, physically, whatever it is. But it, you're going to grow. You're going you're gonna to problem solve. You're going to work through it versus a challenge being a threat, right? There's that, that's two very different mm -hmm. perspectives. And, and what, what, what happens with the human body when it's threatened, right? Fight or flight. Like our brain seizes up. We don't know who to call. We don't know what to do. We, 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 we aren't clear in our thinking process. 
It's a very different experience. And that's why you have two people who are dealt with the exact same situation and who handle it very differently. Perception is everything. Right. I really do believe that. Right. So how do you get someone to make that shift mm -hmm. when it doesn't feel real to them? When, when yes, because when, a lot of people are used to negative thought processes, right? right. right? And, um, you know, and I think the reason for that is because they have allowed the, the emotion attached to their thought to consume them. Right. And they're afraid, right? And so, you know, when you're able to see an emotion for what it is, to look it almost in the face and say, like, fear, I see you, or jealousy, I get that, you're there, mm -hmm. you give it less power over you, right? When you see it for what it is. So when you're able to detach yourself from that emotion, feel it, certainly, don't run from it. That's another reason why people can't change their lens yeah. with which they see their world. Because they run from Because it. they run. Huh? Lean into it. Like right. accept the feelings. Our culture is so afraid of the negative. We're trained to just always want things to be great and things to work out and our jobs to make us happy and our marriages to make us happy and all our kids to be ha everything happy, happy, happy that we have like become, it's not even human. Mm. We have to feel the negative. We have, I mean, if you're always happy, there's something really wrong. Right. <laughs> right. So, so feel the feeling, you know, a pr do whatever you need to do to see it for what it is. And only then are you able to move through that pain and challenge, look at it a different way and see the opportunity that lies within it. And sometimes if you know, it's not going to feel good, that's a sign that it, it should, you should try it. Yeah. Right. And again, this is all, you know, within reason. Right. Um, but, but sometimes like, let's say in a relationship, for example, you know, um, whoever your partner is, you're dating someone and, and there's something you're really interested in about that person, but it's uncomfortable to you. Mm. Maybe you should spend some more time with them instead of running away from the relationship. Maybe that person is going to open up a whole world in you that you don't even know existed, a different part of your personality that you've been so afraid of tap, tapping into, right? Not all discomfort is bad. Yeah. It can be really, really positive. Um, do you know who Wim Hof is? No. The Iceman? No. So um, he basically um, ran a marathon in oh, the Arctic I've heard of, without yeah, yeah. a shirt, no shoes and everything. Mm -hmm. And he came on our show and he was talking about a 30-day challenge where you basically take a cold shower straight. Yeah. And, and the first thing I was like, I'm not doing that. That sounds like it sucks. And then immediately I said, that's why you have to do it. Yeah. And every morning, I'm do I've been doing it for 30 days. I'm up to like day 25. Good every morning, I'm like, this sucks. Why are you doing this? Mm. And I'm like, I'm reminding myself that because I don't want to do it, I force myself to right. do it. Right. And you're training yourself also to be flexible. Right. Which is a huge part of the resilience process. And I talk a lot about flexibility in my book and how to actually train yourself to be flexible. I think it's actually one of the core principles of, of resilience is mm -hmm. being able to pivot, whether it's because, you know, your schedule has changed or something has gone off or, or it's not exactly as you expect it to be, right? Mm -hmm. There's so much in life that happens that you're not prepared for. And to be able to have the cognitive and emotional flexibility to be able to pivot, problem solve and think of something new and, and build on that is, is critical. Get out of your routine. Do something totally different for, right. for a little while. If every single morning you wake up and take a shower, next morning, don't do it. 
take a shower in the afternoon, see what happens. But how do you think? Okay, that's, that's great. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, like literally like take yeah. little, little things and shift them for yourself to get out of the rut. Right. Yeah. How do you do that when you have kids? Kids train you to be flexible. Oh, yeah, 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 that's yeah. true. Yeah. I mean, they've taught me things. They've they've had me practice things that I I couldn't just engineer for myself because nothing ever goes as planned. Okay, like kids. what? I I mean, anything from as simple as you know, we're getting ready to go to school, and my daughter decides it's a really good time to to put a bowl of oatmeal on her head, like and all over my shirt, and I'm supposed to be on TV a minute later, oh, wow. right? It's like. <laughs> Really? You know, so you you just, you're forced to pivot. Um, You know, so many things come up, pop up throughout the day that you just can't be possibly be prepared for. So, so you're trained, you, you you know, as a parent, you're just kind of like, all right, let's, let's figure it out. Let's, let's, let's figure out how to do this. Let's pivot. That's you know? so interesting. As a, as someone who doesn't have kids, my mind went to like, oh, well, I would think like, okay, my kid has to eat at six o'clock. Okay, well, the look, yeah. so I would think it was like super regimented. So it is. So here, so the, so what I'm talking, so yes, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm big into schedules with my kids. Okay. And I think, I think people need routine to function. I think routines and schedules are wonderful, especially for young children to give them a sense of comfort. Mm-hmm. They know what's coming up. They know what's expected of them. Um, what I meant is when there's a shift in routine, yeah. being able to kind of be flexible is critical and to teach your kids to do the same in the right way so that it doesn't freeze you and um, you know create all sorts of issues in the future. But within those routines, you have to be ready for for a lot to happen. That's what I find does. fascinating yeah. because it's like I, it I feel like do I go down one path or the other? But yeah. it's actually both. It's always yeah. both. Yeah, yeah. And to practice flexibility, break the routine a little yeah. bit sometimes too. You know, I was noticing my son is very into the rules and routines, and so I decided one day instead of doing what we normally do when he gets home from school, I I just kind of shifted it and did something different with him and he was like super uncomfortable with it which let me know that it's even more a reason to do this and to practice this with him right so um and it was fun and he enjoyed it and and I think it's kind of helping him be more comfortable with that yeah yeah Talk to me about how I found this so fascinating. So your notion on feelings we just spoke about, yeah. like you have to allow them to feel, and being a parent and implementing that with your kids. Talk to me about that because I found it so <laughs> fascinating. So with children, you know, and I do a lot of talks and seminars on this um, as well, um, you know, because everyone's like, oh, I just want my kids to be happy. Really? Do you? Because if they're always happy, that that's a problem. They're not going to always be happy. So if that's what you want mm. for them, you're always going to be left, you know, wanting, yearning for that. And like that's going to make them feel um, like they can't really um, do what you want of them, mm. right? Um, that's interesting. Just like I say to parents, you know, when you are constantly fixing things for your children or problem solving for them, you are telling them that they are not capable of it themselves. And that's a much, much harsher sentence than just doing it for them, which I mean, they should practice all the things that you're doing for them anyway, but it's also destroying their confidence, right? And their, their sense of self-worth. Explain that a bit because so, it's so powerful. So, so when you tie your child's shoe, for example, super simple, but when you do it because you're running late, you're not only doing it for her and she's not getting the time to practice tying her shoe, she's also learning that you don't think she can. 
And that's really, really powerful. And as they grow, bigger things will happen. And if you are the one that puts the call into the teacher because she's unhappy about something, again, you are telling her that she is not capable of having a voice and advocating for herself. If you are the one helping her with homework because she can't finish her project in time, you are telling her that she isn't smart enough or she can't challenge herself enough or she can't practice enough to get good at something. And we do this in our relationships too. I mean, forget children. Like if you don't have children, I mean, even in our relationship, if you are constantly telling someone what to do and how to do it, you are telling them that they're not capable and eventually they won't be capable, mm-hmm. right? So, um, so it's really critical to let our children do what they need to do to practice life. Was that easy for you to do? No. Okay, so it's how- the hardest thing ever as a parent. It is so hard to watch your child be uncomfortable, right? Right. Mm-hmm. To struggle. But it's innate. It's like a knee-jerk reaction mm-hmm. to want to protect them, to want to do things for them, right? Yeah. So, you know, I even catch myself. It's like he forgot his lunch at school. Oh, my God, I need to bring it to school. He's going to be so hungry. He's never going to forget his lunch again if I don't bring it to school. I love that so right? much. Yeah. If he's the only one sitting there starving, mm-hmm. he won't starve, by the way. It's one lunch. <laughs> but I'm looking. It's like I always remind myself it's the bigger picture, yeah. right? If he forgets his homework, I am not going to bring it to school. It is going to be the hardest thing in the world for me to not bring it to school. I'm going to have to remind myself a thousand times that like about the big picture, I'm probably going to cry. Like I will, you know, I was like, it's it's so hard as a parent, but I am also going to know that this is teaching him invaluable lessons about responsibility and character development, Mm -hmm. right? Get comfortable with your kid's discomfort. It's, it's super hard to do, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but, but we must, Yeah, we must. That's what I was going to say. It must be difficult because even though you know it, like, okay, from a high level, I know that I should be acting like this. I'm sure there's moments, right, where you're just like, I just don't feel like a good mother if you're not giving them what they're asking oh, for. Oh, totally. And, and and again, it's up to your discretion to differentiate between like core needs. I like that. Okay. Versus just fixing things for them. Okay. What I'm talking about is fixing things for them. Do not fix things for them. Do not problem solve for them. Do not give them the answers. And it's as simple as like on the drive home from school or wherever you are with your kids, if they voice a concern or a challenge to you, we so often as parents just want to say like, oh yeah, that call, call her or do this, or why don't you do that? Or we try to tell our kids what to do all the time. Give them the gift of just space to think through it on their own. Ask a lot of questions instead of giving answers. Those are little things that you can do. That's very loving to do. So you're still being a loving parent, but you're encouraging them to, to problem solve. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's a skill that is just, I think one of the most important ones to learn. Are those are techniques that you use with your clients as well. Yeah. Really? Totally. Yeah. I think with anyone really, if you ask more than, more than answer, it's always going to provide a deeper level of communication. 
asking questions is important because it gets them to understand, you know, really where their gut is at and what they're feeling. But I also do like to give tips and tools to clients. I think there's a time and place for everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think some people, depending on who you are, you do need a little guidance and help. I certainly got guidance and help along the way. Um, I think we all need that from certain people. Yeah. Um, all right, we're talking about kids and everything you do. Like, I was like, okay, I need to talk to her about balance because <laughs> it's something I'm a little obsessed with of like, how do people do everything? And, you know, I get asked that a yeah. lot. And then I heard you say, we need to eradicate balance. Yeah. I wanted to jump up and scream <laughs> amen when I heard you say that because I'm like, I don't seek balance for me personally. Yeah. I actually don't seek it. Yeah. Um, but so many people these days in society focus on it mm-hmm. and then going back to like if you don't achieve it now are you failing oh my god Same, yeah. so talk to me about why yeah. you think we need to eradicate balance yeah and I'm a bit of a myth, but myth buster in that sense but yeah I think I think our quest for balance like our quest for happiness is leading us into a very miserable dark place um, balance doesn't exist I mean have you ever really been balanced in the sense mm-hmm. of the word it, it's not possible Really, it's about how do we effectively and efficiently integrate different aspects of who we are and how we want to prioritize our life. That's what it is. That's when people say, like, I'm really balanced. That's what they're doing. They're content with what they've set up for themselves. So I think, again, yes, it comes down to semantics and just understanding what the word means. But also forget about that quest. It's not reasonable. It's not rational. (laughs) It's not sustainable or you know, ever, it's not human. Yeah. So how do you prioritize your life is really what, what we need to be doing. Yeah. You know, what gives you a sense of purpose? What gives you meaning? Or if it doesn't, like, that's fine too. A lot of things might not give us meaning or purpose, but we have to do them. Mm-hmm. So how are you fitting that into your life while also, you know, giving yourself the space you need? That's so important because people so focus, especially these days, I want to be fulfilled. I want to have purpose. And they seem to think it needs to be embedded in every single thing they do. I mean, it can't be. Right. You know, it's like some people, yeah, they, 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 they have a job that they don't love, but it pays the bills. And she's a single mom with four kids. Like, what's she going to do? Just like quit. And then how is she going to pay rent? You know what I mean? Yeah. So there are things that we have to do. Um, that we might not love, but there's always a way to find a sense of meaning in it, even if we dislike it. So again, it's about shifting our perspective. Maybe you don't like the job, but you really like this one person that you work with. And maybe you need to be spending a little more time with that one person that you work with. Mm -hmm. Or Maybe you don't love what you're doing, but it's it, it it fulfills a greater good, you know, or maybe you're you're you know in the packaging industry and you hate standing there packaging things, but the thing that you're packaging makes so many people happy. Maybe it's Play-Doh, you know what I mean? So yeah. to think about, you know, the layers of what mm. we're doing to find something to latch onto that gives you a sense of meaning, I think is important. Yeah, I like that because um, I've heard you talk about making sure that you're finding that in the moment yes. versus just always focusing on the future, the future, the future. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, again, that comes back to mindfulness is like whatever you're doing has to be in some way, you know, giving you a sense of meaning. It doesn't necessarily have to be pleasing to you or give you happiness. I'm, I'm not, I'm specifically right, not right, using yeah. the word happy. It yeah. doesn't have to make mm-hmm. you happy. It might, it probably won't there. It's impossible to always do things that make you happy, but 
it should be fulfilling something. It should be either toward a greater good or toward something to help yourself or your family or a sense of meaning. It should have a nugget, mm-hmm. a kernel in there that you can hold on to. Yeah. So talk to me about mindfulness then. How do you become mindful? You know, I think I think training yourself to be present in the moment is important. It can be something as simple as like rubbing your palms together. I talked about this in the book too. And just feeling like the heat that your body can create, that you, you have that much power that you can create something like that, right? And feeling your palms, your hands, feeling your body, you know, checking in for a moment about where you're at. Are your shoulders like just tensed up? Drop them. Is your tongue at the roof? I'm like, of, I'm like, I know. Is, is, is your tongue at the roof of your mouth? Drop it, right? Are your eyebrows like kind of tense? Drop them. Like so, just tuning into little parts of yourself physically mm-hmm. can help and start the process of becoming more mindful. So it's more of a subconscious process. But you, the body specifically, the is body. Step I would start one. with the body. Okay. Yeah, because we're we're all very physical creatures, mm-hmm. and that's something we can really um, hold on to when we start to tune. Oh, okay. Yeah. I do feel my shoulders versus like this existential mindfulness bit that not everyone can attach themselves to. Yeah. Um, Dealing with the body and let's say like nutrition and working Mm -hmm. out, things like that. I know that you really found, um, you studied that and were fascinated by how that then affects people as humans, how we act. Talk to me about that and what things as a takeaway, if someone had to put, let's say two or three things in their day now to improve their life and decision-making and things like that, what could they do? My initial research, um, sort of back in the day was connecting the dots between what we eat and how we feel. And there's a huge connection there. Um, I think the bigger... So this is way before people were actually yeah. talking about it as well. Yeah. I just want to make that yeah. point. Because now people are like, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. But this is before people... Yes, yes. And and I think, you know, nutrition plays a huge role in being resilient, being able to have the fortitude and the wherewithal to, to you know, sort of overcome mm-hmm. and grow from our pain and challenges. You have to you have to have a certain type of nutrition, you have to keep physically fit, you know, and all these things. Um, But I think a bigger piece of the puzzle that's often missed in terms of nutrition and mental health is that when you make healthful choices for your body, you are in a sense telling your brain that you're worth it. And so you are activating a feedback loop in your brain that says to yourself, okay, I am... I am eating this food because I love myself enough to to have the energy to buy this food, to make this food, and I'm I'm worth this food. And so you then eat the food and and it's this whole feedback loop that then starts the path of of building your self-worth and confidence that has immeasurable benefits and consequences on our mental well-being and our life. That really hit me. I've never heard someone answer it like that before. Um, that was really powerful because yeah. I absolutely believe in, you know, the mind-body connection. Yeah, I mean, and, of course, yeah. But I'd never thought of it from a worthy standpoint. Right. It was more like, oh, well, you've done a win. You've told yourself you're going to eat well, so you did. I mean, sure, it's a win, but it's also that you are worthy of it. And that's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, and what are your thoughts on sleep? Oh, as like yeah. a sleep. We I mean we can't. Our brain can't work without sleep, yeah. right? So we need it. We absolutely need it. And I would say to keep it as regular as you can. You know, if if most people need on average seven to eight hours a night, if you need nine, go for it. 
um, go to bed every time, you know, every day at the same time, wake up every day at the same time if you can, weekends, same, you know, like yeah. try to keep the same schedule so that your your brain can get to a, on a routine. And therefore, you're sort of maximizing your ability to, to weather that, that daily grind that we all get hit with, right? Um, you're able to think more clearly, you're able to, to problem solve better and be more flexible too. Have you noticed the difference within yourself? If oh, you're... Yeah, totally. I mean, if I don't get enough sleep, I'm a mess. I, I, it's so hard for me to, to, to think quickly, to think clearly, to be all that I am in a day, whether it's as a mother, as a career woman, as a, you know, a coach, as whatever I do as a speaker, you know, it's, um, it's difficult, you know, um, so I really try to encourage everyone to get the sleep that they need. Yeah. Why is it like the one thing that people, like that's like the easy one, oh, just get less sleep when it's so important. And they don't get, I mean, people don't understand how critical it is and right. they think that they can function off of less sleep. It's like almost like a game. Right. Like, oh, I can, I can do six hours and be fine. Yeah. They think they're fine, but they're not actually thriving. Mm -hmm. They're just surviving, right? And they don't know how much better they could be or how much more efficient they could be if they were getting that extra too, for example. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think it's hard these days too. Everyone asks so much of us. We all, a, a lot of people have virtual work worlds where they're constantly, you know, have to be connected and responding at all hours. A lot of people are on their devices before bedtime, which then triggers our brain and affects our quality of sleep. It is something that needs to be cherished, almost like a holy, holy space, holy ground. And, and, you know, create a bedtime ritual, take a bath, like do, do whatever you need to do. Turn the lights down low that tells your brain, okay, it's going to be bedtime in an hour, you know, read, leave your phone downstairs so that you're not, you know, it's not too easy to grab it right by your bedside. Like whoever says, oh, I love reading books on my, on my devices before bed. It's totally fine. It doesn't affect me at all. Do the research. Research shows that it does, you know, so know what you're up against and, and make it harder for yourself to do those things that impact your sleep negatively. Yeah. I love that you're looking at the research. Like that's oh, yeah. so important. Yeah. And like in, in your entire message about resilience, it's all like science-based. Yeah. Do you see a difference between being resilient and unbreakable? Oh, I love that. Um, I think that being unbreakable is unattainable. I think that having a goal of being unbreakable is not reasonable. Um, I think resilient people are breakable and that's okay. And part of being broken is about the rebuild, right? So sometimes, you know, some of the, the biggest breakdowns are like the greatest breakthroughs. Oh, I love that. Yeah. We're fallible. We're breakable. I mean, but at the end of the day, you always have, you know, your core of who you are and your ability to rebuild, right? We always have that. We always have to hold on to that hope and to our core, you know, abilities. And again, know that these are all skills mm -hmm. that we can train ourselves to become, right? It's not something like you said, we're born with or without. It's a skill. So, so learn the tools and, and you can, you are that powerful. Yeah. Yeah. People, I think, get caught up if they're not there yet. So they just don't try. Mm. Yeah, because everything takes work. Right. It's like saying, oh, I'm, I'm just not going to go to the gym because I don't look like that guy. Right. You know, like, right. really? No, you still go to the gym because you want to look a certain way. You still try to, you know, eat the right things mm -hmm. to look a certain way, but you don't actually see your brain. 
And so you sort of feel like that's not really necessary to work on, right? But your emotional and mental well-being is just as important, if not more. But for some reason, we don't put in the work. Yeah. Yeah. It takes work. Is it because you think then because we don't see it? I think it's because there's no like physical, you know, manifestation of it. But I do think that you do see it. You start to see the depression seep in. You start to see the anxiety. Unfortunately, it's when you start seeing those things that you realize you need the help and the work. Mm -hmm. But what I advocate is to do it much before you start to see those symptoms, right? It's like someone who, um, you know, is falling apart and is, you know, morbidly obese to the point that it's impacting their health and they're not okay with it and their doctors are saying they need you know, to lose weight for their own well-being and health and longevity. That's not when you should start trying to be healthy, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So your brain works very much in the same way. Don't wait. Don't wait. And it's not to say that all of us are going to get to that like morbid place. But, you know, this requires daily work. You're you're worth that effort, right? It's a preventative sort of, you know, and we all want to feel good, right? So do do what it takes. And really what it takes is to to train yourself to become resilient. And that's 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 what you know the work I do. Yeah. Um so you just said like everyone wants to feel good, which is a hundred percent. Yeah. And at the same time you say people need to sit in the discomfort. Yes, they do. And how do you do both? You knowing that sitting in the discomfort is toward making you feel good. Mm-hmm. It's just part of the process. Right. It's like you know the roller coaster is going to end at some point but you're still on it and going down like really doesn't feel good but then the going up is is like jittery because you know it's about to go down later on. I mean that's life, yeah. right? You know that just when you're doing awesome like there's going to be a dip, right? And and you just you, you you've got to enjoy the ride, right. right? Yeah. So it's like even though you feel the pain and there's negative and there's challenges like you're still in it. And you're still you and you're going to get through it and you're going to grow and strengthen, right? But within that is going to be a little pain and that's normal. Yeah, I love the notion of failure and the fact that like if you fail, it doesn't make you a failure. Yes. Um, And I heard a quote recently about um, somebody asked Edison, um, you know, how did you feel about your thousand failures? And he's like, there weren't a thousand failures, there were a thousand steps. 100%. 100%. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. that's so true. And it yeah. just reminded me of you of saying like, stop looking at the negative and just look at it. How do you spin it? Going back to perspective. Or look at, look at it for what it, what it is right. and, and ask and answer right. the right questions. Look for the opportunity within the failure. There's always something that was missed. You know, like Plato started as a wallpaper cleaner. Like really? it was not, you know what I mean? Like Viagra was never meant to be what it is. That's true. I mean, all these, like the greatest inventions in the world yeah. never really started out the way they were like, they ended up, right? Yeah. So there's always something, there's always a nugget of gold within that and to look for that. But to do that, you have to be objective mm-hmm. and that requires to tease away the emotion, right? And so what, what, how do we do that? We look at, we, we, we feel the feels, right? We yeah. feel the feeling first so that we can become more objective. We know that failure hurts. That there's like ego involved there that you want to push it away. But we're not going to because we want to become more objective, yeah. right? Um, I think it's sad what happens in our culture with failure. When we're little, failure is awesome. We're like, yay, you can do it. Like you're almost walking. Oh, you fell. Woohoo, right? We, we celebrate yeah. it 
as a growing opportunity. Of course, she's going to learn to walk. And we're, we're excited that she's falling because we know that within the falling, she's going to learn balance. But as we grow, we don't celebrate our failures in the same way. Yeah. And that's, there's something really unfortunate about that. Yeah, I know. I, I try to almost say like, if I fail now, tell myself, well done, Lisa. Yeah. <laughs> right. To give myself like the own pat on the back. Yeah. Because it's easy to go to the negative. It is. And it it, 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 it hurts. Like yeah. our ego yeah. is affected and we're like, oh, that doesn't feel good. I don't, yeah. I don't want to admit that I did something wrong. Yeah, like exactly. really? Me? No. Yeah. Right. But but within that, it's like, oh, okay. What what have I learned? Like, what was I surprised by? What what went right? Mm-hmm. What didn't go right? What who should I have turned to for help? What you know? There's so many things that you can ask yourself to learn and to grow from that failure. Um, what's the one thing that has impacted you personally the most in um, order to gain resilience? Like, what's the one thing, the biggest thing you had to change that impacted you? I think like my tendency to be perfectionist, to always want to do really, really well. Um, You know, I think, I think that that was also, you know, part, part cultural. I come from a Russian upbringing that, you know, really expected excellence, which I'm very grateful for. Um, But I also feel like within that there were expectations um, that I didn't, I, I, you know, I sort of always wanted to be at a certain level Mm -hmm. and that's not that's not sustainable. Yeah. Um, so I think working through that as an adult has been really beneficial for me and, um, how, you know, sort of been, been the work, like the big work that I do for yeah. myself. Um, but you know, I think there's so many things, you know, there's, there's so many little things along the way, um, that we can all sort of work on at different times of our lives too. So we're all a work in progress. I love yeah. That. Yeah. Uh, where can people find you online? Where can they find this book? Because yeah. it is absolutely phenomenal. Thank you. Where can people go and get um, it? 21 Days to Resilience is found anywhere books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, I mean anywhere. And um I drzilana.com is my website. So you can read more about me, contact me through there. Um at doctor like dr dot z-e-l-a-n-a for Instagram. So you can check me out on socials and stay in touch. Um, and the, the, the website is drzlana.com. And my final question, what do you consider your superpower to be? Um, I love that question. I would say that uh, my superpower now is being a problem solver. Bam. I'm grateful for that, that I've trained myself to have that ability to, you know, really think through things. And I'm sort of, even as a kid, I always wanted to, to fix things. And that's actually gotten me into trouble too, because not everything or everyone can be fixed, right? Well, guys, you've got to go check out this woman's book. Hopefully this was like a small little snippet (laughs) of what she's all about. When she, um, When she came on my radar, the thing that I found the most fascinating is there's no BS behind her. Like She's like, if you want to do X, you have to do Y. And she's giving you the lessons and the tips in order for you to go out and do that. And then it is on you to go and execute. 
So guys, when I say you can be the hero of your own life, I really genuinely mean it. And this woman's book is literally like the, the guide on how to do that. So go check her out, go check out the book and her Instagram and her website, website's beautiful by the way. You've got to go check that out. And if you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billu. Click that subscribe button if you're not already subscribed. And until next time, go be the hero of your own life.